Please repeat after me. Reflecting carefully, I use this food. Not for pleasure. Not for indulgence. But only for maintaining this body. So that it endures. For keeping it unharmed. For supporting life. So that former feelings of hunger are destroyed and new feelings from overeating do not arise. Then there will be for me a lack of bodily obstacles and living comfortably. Have a nice meal. I'd like to explain the symbolism that we have on the shrine and also the symbolism of our prostration so that those of you who are not familiar with that kind of practice get a little bit of an insight into it and see it for what it's meant to be. And those of you who are familiar with it may still find something new in it. The shrine in this tradition is very simple and it always has just that, what we see here, the Buddha statue, candles, flowers, and then the incense. If we like to be more elaborate and make more decorations, of course we can do that, but these are the essentials that are always there. That's in the Theravadan tradition. We have two traditions in Buddhism, Mahayana and Theravadan. And Mahayana is, includes and consists of the Tibetan tradition and the Zen tradition. Also, Pure Land tradition of Vietnam is Mahayana. Theravadan is the, also Southern tradition, belongs to the countries of Burma, Thailand, and Sri Lanka. The uh, Buddha statue as such is of course nothing that we actually worship, revere, or bow down to. It is a symbol, man and his symbols. It is a symbol of the enlightenment factor, the enlightenment possibility in all of us. It's a symbolism just as we also have a feeling for that statue if we remember, for instance, that we hang up photos of our parents or grandparents or of our children and we enjoy looking at them because they're part of our life. The same goes for people who have taken their path, the spiritual path, of trying to commit their lives to the spiritual ideal, enjoy seeing a Buddha statue. Now what the Buddha really looked like, we have no idea. The Buddha statue is made according to the maker's discretion. And the one we see here is Tibetan tradition. Um, every country makes the statues more 
or less in the way they think that the Buddha should have looked. <laughs> and we have m so many different statues as we have different makers of statues. The one thing that is interesting to a person like myself, for instance, whether the face depicts any kind of serenity uh, is made well enough so that it has a feeling about it. And we can find those sometimes, often not. Depends entirely on who makes it. In Sri Lanka, the Buddha statues look Sri Lankan. What else? But I was in England, and for the first time in my life, I went to visit the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order and actually met up with a Buddha statue that was definitely an Englishman. <laughs> it was very nice, very nice, was very beautiful. A standing Buddha in gold color, I don't know whether it was bronze or painted, I'm not sure, very well made, but definitely an Englishman, no doubt about it. But then the English can always do that, can't they? <laughs> so we see whatever the maker sees. And to us, it's a symbol of that which we're striving for. Total purification, total insight, total understanding, the mind that knows without any discrimination. The candles are a symbol of enlightenment, light, light in the mind. The mind has no dark spots. The mind is completely illuminated, bright and brilliant, and it has a sparkle that transmits. Now, a candle that is lit transmits its light. So that is the symbolism of the candles. And most of the time we have two, sometimes three. The incense, we usually put three, and the number three is always symbolic of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, the three jewels, the three refuges. And the incense depicts the wonderful aroma that comes from a person that has absolute purity and that this aroma goes far and wide doesn't just stay in one spot the same happens with the incense the aroma of the incense goes far and wide and the flowers are actually quite an important aspect quite other than beautifying the place. They do that too, but that's not what they're there for. They're there to remind us of the impermanence of ourselves. We are exactly like the flowers, beautiful one day and the garbage heap the next. Now these have actually lasted quite well, and some of us do last quite well, but not forever. 
eventually we all wind up in the same place. And that's what these flowers do. And we enjoy the flowers while they are fresh and nice like this. We enjoy each other while we are still hale and hearty. But then we must remember that that too doesn't last, just like with the flowers. And that's why we always try to put fresh flowers on a shrine and not uh, silken ones, artificial ones, or even flower pots. They last too long. We forget, just like us. We also last too long. We forget that the whole thing is over with in a flash if one looks at it in the content of um, a complete eon. We're over with in no time at all. So these are the symbols of the shrine, which when we know what they mean, give us a feeling of the rightness of it. Now if we prostrate, obviously not to a metal statue, but we prostrate, first of all, three times, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, three times again. And also, it is an expression not only of our reverence and devotion, it certainly is that, and our gratitude, but it is an expression also of our humility. And that's something that's not quite so easy, and that's why in the West, where prostration is more or less unknown, is sometimes rejected, because we express with that our understanding that there's something which is much greater than we are ourselves, something which goes much further and is much more transcending. And with that admission, we prostrate also, not only with that admission, but also with a commitment that we'd like to become that pure, that transparent, that egoless, so that we can emulate the Nibbanic achievement, which is the one that the Buddha gives us as our goal. The commitment to the practice, not to the goal. It's a practice we have to be committed to because the goal is only possible through the practice. So we have two things, first of all, three things, I should say, devotion and reverence and gratitude, and then we have the humility, and then we have our own commitment. And in that way, the prostration really is meaningful and enters into ourselves as part of our being. It's not just a physical action. But in order to express our feeling and our intention, we have only speech and action. And so we express 
through the actual words of refuge and precept and we express through the actuality of the prostration. That's how we express this uh, commitment, this connectedness, this our being there to practice this. There's one other aspect of the prostration. We prostrate, as I said, three times, and at the end of the third prostration, many, not everyone, have a tradition of touching forehead, mouth, and chest. Thought, speech, and action. So we are committing ourselves with thought, speech, and action to try to actualize this path. I hope I haven't given you the impression that this is an easy path. It isn't. But I also hope I've given you the impression that it is a very worthwhile, uplifting, elevating, and caring path which gives us an inner condition of joy and security. It's not easy, but it is extremely profitable. The way we're going to do the refuge and precept is like this. I'll light the candles and the three incense sticks for Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And then everybody who would like to take precept and refuge can come forward with the flower, offer the flower to the Buddha, light one incense stick at the candles, because if we all light three, it's going to be too much. won't have any room in there or also going to start coughing. So I have a personal involvement. <laughs> and prostrate three times to the Buddha and then sit down again and all those who want to do that have, after everybody's finished then we'll all take refuge and precept together and after everybody has sat down again I'll say how we do that so I'll light the candles and the three incense sticks bowl lit think of your own virtue and purity that goes out as a beautiful aroma from you you want to start to have a earlier And obviously, when you put your flower down, 
think of the impermanence of yourself. Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasam I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dhamma. Sanghang Saranangachami I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Sangha. Dutyampi For the second time I take refuge in the Buddha. Jyoteyampi dhammang saranangachami For the second time I take refuge in the Dhamma. Jyoteyampi sanghang saranangachami For the second time I take refuge in the Sangha. Hateyampi Buddhang Saranangachami. For the third time, I take refuge in the Buddha. Hateyampi Dhammang Saranangachami. For the third time, I take refuge in the Dhamma. Hateyampi Sanghang Saranangachami. For the third time, I take refuge in the Sangha. Saranagamanang Sampunang. Hanatipata Veramanisi Kapadam Samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. I 
I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from wrong speech. Sura Miriam Majapamaditana Veramanisika Padam Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs. Isaranena sadhim panchasilang dhammang sadukang surakitang katvad pamadena sampadeta. This means, may the taking of the five precepts and the refuges be for your benefit and happiness. May you all be very happy. Before we do the last loving-kindness meditation together and the sharing of merits, I'll just say very few words about practicing at home. I have already said something about it, that one has to continue meditation in order to make it work and make it in order to reap the benefits. When we look after our body, we eat every day, three times a day, maybe twice a day, maybe four times a day, daily, in order to keep the body going and strong, give it energy, keep it healthy. The same applies to the mind got to be done every day but because it isn't as feasible and as tangible not feasible as tangible as a body and its food because we can't touch it or see it therefore we neglect the mind and look after the body If anything at all, it should be the other way around. But it's better to look after both. But we need to remember that the mind is more important. Because the mind has a great influence on the body. That we're also influenced by the aches and pains of the body. is only because the mind does not resist. It goes with it. So a trained mind, the Buddha said, is more valuable to us. It's kinder to us than any father or mother or the best friend can be. 
and an untrained mind is more harmful to us than our worst enemy. If we do intend to meditate every day, we should have a little place in the house somewhere. It doesn't have to be a whole meditation room. A corner with a pillow. Maybe, if you care, a Buddha statue or a picture on the wall or nothing or a flower vase, whatever strikes you as suitable. But leave your pillow lying there so that if you do get up early in the morning and want to meditate, you don't have to run all through the house trying to find it. And then if you can't find it right away, think, well, maybe tomorrow. We don't take the chairs out of the dining room every day. We don't take the pots out of the kitchen. We don't take the towels out of the bathroom. We leave it there. So we leave our pillow in the meditation place. Have a timer, something that rings at the appropriate time. If you're a beginner, have just started 30 minutes, morning and evening, working up, doing a little more, let's say once a month, adding five minutes, or once a week, adding one minute. little drops fill a bucket. If you add one minute per week, you've added 52 minutes in the year, which brings you to just under one and a half hours. But if you deduct one minute per week, I don't have to finish the sentence. So let's do it that way. And then have a little timer that rings at the time you set it. Because if you don't have that, you might sit on your pillow and you might be meditating, 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 and then the mind says, oh goodness, it's at least three quarters hour. <laughs> and you get up and you look in the kitchen, on the kitchen clock, and it's 10 minutes. <laughs> now, of course, now, having come to the kitchen, you start making breakfast. <laughs> this is the way we are. So have this little thing there, sitting there, set for exactly what you wanted, 32 minutes or 47 minutes or whatever it is, and wait for it to ring. Just like you waited here for the bell to ring. Even when you were thinking, goodness, I'm sure she's forgotten this time. <laughs> <laughs> and as you sit there, and you're not even concentrated, but you have the intention to be, you're making good karma. And as you get habituated to doing that, this good habit stays with us. You have to tell yourself, Talk to yourself and say, now look, this is really important. Come on, do it. I always compare that to cleaning our teeth. When we were small, and all of you who have children know this, 
the children, all, we used to say to our mother, what, again, cleaning teeth? <laughs> or, I'll do it later. Or, what for? And mother used to patiently say, come on, you have to clean your teeth, they're all going to fall out of your head otherwise. <laughs> and every day and every morning and every evening, she used to say the same thing. And what happened? We're still cleaning our teeth. And nobody's saying a word. Habit. And we also know why we're doing it. The same with meditation. Only this time, you have to be the mother and the child. The one that says, come on, sit down and do it. And then the child saying, it's all right, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> and then mother saying, no, 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 right now. So you have that internal dialogue, and hopefully mother wins. It's a matter of knowing why I'm doing this. And if you have listened and can remember, you will know why you're doing this. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Think of yourself as someone who is trying very hard to do all the good things and forgive yourself for anything that you may have done or thought or said that you don't appreciate. Forgive yourself completely for everything in the past and appreciate yourself for your efforts that you've made here now. And with this forgiveness and this appreciation, let love surround you and fill you. Now, put your attention on the person sitting nearest you. Forgive him or her for anything that you think they may have thought, said or done, for anything that needs forgiving. Appreciate that person for his or her efforts. and fill him or her with your love.
And now, let forgiveness reach out to everyone here and your appreciation of everyone's efforts and fill each person with your love. Think of your parents and anything that you might have judged or disliked, forgive them completely, appreciate them for all the good they have done, fill them and surround them with your love. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you. Forgive them for anything that you may have been judging or disliking. Appreciate them for all the good that you know of them. Fill them with your love without expecting the same in return. Think of all your good friends, forgive them for anything that you might have thought about them, that they might have said or done. Appreciate them for the friendship they're offering, for the effort they're making, for the goodness you know, and fill them and embrace them with your love.
think of all the people in your life acquaintances, relations colleagues boss postman anyone who comes into your life forgive them all for anything that you may have thought of them that was wrong appreciate them for all the effort they're making to lead a good life and fill them and surround them with your love Think of any one person that you may have difficulties with. Forgive that person completely. Appreciate that person for his or her efforts. And fill him or her with your love. So that there's no blockage in your own heart. Now let forgiveness, appreciation and love flow out of your heart to all the people near and far. First those that you know and then all those that you don't know. All of them are trying. All of them are making mistakes. All of them are teachers for us so that we can learn to love. Let these feelings come out of your heart. People around here, further afield, the whole of the city, the towns, the villages, the whole of the country. And then Let your heart reach out to those people in the Middle East who are engaged in warfare on both sides, obeying or giving commands. Forgive all of them, love all of them. No difference. All are having difficulties. 
Let your forgiveness, your acceptance, your appreciation and your love flow unhindered to beings everywhere on the whole of this globe. Animals and people, those we can see, those we can't see, any size, any color, any race, any creed. Fill the atmosphere around you and as far as the heart strength can reach with forgiveness, appreciation and love. So that there's more and more of that to be felt. Now put your attention back on yourself. Recognize that forgiving means loving. That the past is gone. That you can love now. Be contented with yourself the way it is and love yourself the way you are. Only then will love flourish. We share the merits we have made through our good intentions and effort in this weekend meditation retreat with all our teachers, whoever they may be, with our parents, our loved ones, our friends and our enemies. We share the merits with George, whose work kept us alive, and with B, who made it possible that we're here, and with all their helpers. We share the merits 
with all the devas who are present. We share the merits with all those